On today's episode, we talk about options for non-combat encounters in your campaign. Hello and welcome to Dungeon Jedi Masters, a podcast discussing everything Star Wars 5e. My name is Todd, I've got Tegan here, and we're looking forward to jumping into hyperspace with you. Let's go! Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dungeon Jedi Masters podcast, episode 35. Tegan, how are you doing today? Yeah, doing pretty well. Uh, enjoying uh, the Mandalorian. Yeah, it's been awesome. Uh, definitely uh, some great stuff uh, there so far. Good life back to Star Wars uh, in between the movies. Yeah, absolutely. So on today's podcast, uh, we're going to have a chat, uh, Tegan and I, about... Uh, ways that you can create uh, non-combat encounters, uh, different ways to do things out of just that uh, specific area of the game uh, in your own campaign. Uh, but first, a few announcements and whatnot on our end. Uh, we have four new Patreons to uh, give a shout out to. A uh, big thank you to Nanaya, Rick, Nick, and Olivia. Uh, thank you to you four. We are at, uh, last check, we're at 49, so we're almost at that 50, which is amazing. A huge thank you to all of you, and then all of you uh, listeners and subscribers out there to everything else. We appreciate it very much. Always uh, check us out, DungeonJediMasters.com, for all of our content uh, to follow uh, everything else that we put out. Uh, I think that's everything on our end. Uh, Tegan, there's a new engineer archetype out there i believe the biotech engineer for the star wars 5e system yes this one's pretty sweet so uh this is a new one uh it's gonna be focusing on uh kind of cybermanic augmentation so you can apply to your character so if you wanted to build a cyborg or uh, an engineer that really kind of customizes himself out with different uh, mechanical uh, enhancements this would be a great way to do so uh with this class to start off with you get proficiency with the biotech tools uh, to kind of enhance, uh, craft it and enhance rate with it. Uh, but the cool thing with this one is just all the different enhancements or cyborg modifications you can get uh, to really just customize out your PC and give them some cool uh, features with it. Uh, the big one too with this class is it's going to change uh, one of your potent aptitude die uh, abilities uh with this you'll get the quick release stimulant so as long as you have at least one cyborg augmentation active and installed uh if you get hit you'll be able to reduce damage by an amount equal to a d10 plus your constitution modifier and your engineer level uh so this would be a good one especially for engineers since they're a little squishier uh to help reduce some damage and keep you in the fight a little bit longer uh, but this is definitely a cool one to go through. Check out all the different augmentations they have because uh, there's a lot you can do and really customize all your PC in a couple different ways. Very nice. Definitely a good core class there, the engineer. So great to have a one further addition in the archetype area. All right. Uh, after that, uh, we do have two more DM spotlights. Uh, fellow DMs out there telling us about their campaign. I uh, got a couple good ones here. Uh, so first up... Uh, I have uh, Gary. Gary has been playing in several uh, D&D 5e campaigns over the past few years. Uh, their campaign name is Star Wars The Other Side. 
And uh, their campaign is uh, just five years after the fall of the Republic, and the heroes find themselves working simple desk jobs on Malastare for the Empire at the Agency for Supply Chain Management. While investigating a supply chain issue on Kashyyyk, they realize the Empire's been using slave labor to extract resources and must grapple with their role in the conflict. Uh, they have uh, been playing uh, earlier this since earlier this year, uh, over a dozen sessions, and they have four players. Uh, they started at level five, and they are now at level seven. So I don't know if we've uh, talked about starting level much, Tegan, uh, or, or what we've seen where people start at, you know, average-wise. But uh, I, I'd say five, three and five, I would bet, would be the two most common. Yeah, I think that's what most people go to. Uh, okay, we see decent bit of ones, but yeah, I think most people like at least doing three. So you got all your archetype and class stuff up and running yeah. uh, to have a little more flexibility. So, uh, yeah, over to you, Tegan, for the other one today. Definitely. So this one's uh, being run by Ben. Uh, he's been playing D and D for about two years. Uh, he's DM'd a one shot, but this is actually his first campaign. So uh, jumping into that DM and hobby there. Uh, his campaign is named Kasi. Uh, basically, uh, the characters are joining Kasi's bounty hunters guild. Uh, they're going to be going on different bounty hunting adventures. Uh, this is a new campaign, so uh, when he sent this, he said his first session was tomorrow, so I hope everything went well with it, and uh, it's to see how that went for you, Ben. Uh, he's actually starting at level one, so he's got four players at level one uh, to kick it off, which, especially for being a newer DM, too, that could be a good area, just so you can, you can learn the characters and get everybody familiar with them, too, and get everything kind of up and running smoothly. Yeah, definitely. I know uh, we had a lot of these, so this was number 20... 27 was uh, Ben's submission, so we've been doing two a week. So I, I'd imagine he's got a few sessions under his belt now by the time he submitted that. You know, yeah, I would touch on that as well, Tegan, about the, you know starting at level one as a new DM. It's a lot to learn all the different classes and things, especially if you're a little unfamiliar with it. So, uh, you know, definitely a nice, uh, nice way to go into it and learn with your players as you go. So... But uh, to Gary and Ben, thank you for those submissions. Uh, anyone else? Uh, we still love to see those. If you want to submit about your campaign and haven't done so yet, uh, please do so. Find a link in the description of the podcast. So uh, get to today's topic. As mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking about uh, different ways you can create uh, encounters and, and challenges for your party that uh, exist outside of combat. Combat is probably the go-to design mechanic in the game, uh, encounter design uh, for for Star Wars 5e or for 5e, uh, but there's certainly lots of ways that you can challenge your players uh, outside of that, um, using their their skills and and maybe even just, uh, you know, expanding on some role play elements of the game. Um, the uh, the tiers, I believe it's the three tiers, uh, Tegan backed me up on this, of, of 5e are uh, exploration, interaction, and then combat. Is the combat the other one? Yep, so that, that's right, yeah. Exploration, uh, uh, interaction slash RP, and then combat. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, obviously I think everyone would be familiar enough with, with combat and, and, you know, there's probably a ton of uh, articles and opinion pieces out there about the other two and, and utilizing those things. And and those two, I think, are, are big things to, to bring up in in a topic like this. Tegan, any initial thoughts from you about uh, about this topic and, and doing things uh, that are encounters outside of, of that combat? 
Yeah, definitely. It's one of those ones that can sometimes be a little harder to plot out uh, for, for probably certain jams, and I know this is something I always have to kind of really focus on to plot out, because the combat encounter is not easier, but it's more structured. You can kind of whip something up pretty quickly, uh, but it's definitely one of those ones that can kind of uh, adds another layer to the game, uh, and especially for some of the classes that are a little bit more skill-focused, or uh, if you just want to have like, a different twist on RP, uh, these can be a, a great way to build that out, uh, give players a chance to shine, get their skills on, or uh, have some really compelling RP uh, with just a little bit of a different format than the typical combat encounter or uh, this typical RP scenario. So this is definitely something that can really kind of help elevate the game a bit. Absolutely, yeah. You know, it's it's uh, it's all about um, you know they got getting players involved in different ways. Uh, you know, maybe some players. Obviously, in in Star Wars Five E, we've ta- said this many times that technology is you know, overused, uh, just that's the nature of, of the galaxy and whatnot. Um, so maybe, you know, you create some things that, that focus on some other areas, uh, you know, nature, animal handling, uh, something else, you look at some other skills and, uh, you know, how can you do some things to, to bring out some other areas here? Um, so we've got a very loose, uh, structure here in, in our format today. Uh, you know, so I put some bullet points down, uh, you know, talk about social encounters, um, puzzles are obviously going to be a big thing that are non-combat. Uh, skill challenges we'll touch on a little bit more, and, and I'm sure a lot of people, you've heard about skill challenges, but we'll touch on that. You know, so and a few more things here, but uh, let's, I guess, Tegan, let's start with the social encounters. Um, and, and, you know, I kind of talked about, uh, you know, using other skills and, and whatnot, but, um, you know, throw it to you first on that. What are maybe some examples of some social encounters that you've utilized uh, in in your campaigns? Definitely. So this is kind of social encounters are the best way to let those uh, charisma uh, build shine. So you see a lot of your uh, your force users. You start mostly dark side uh, with this system, but even people just have a high charisma score. This would be a good area to give them some areas to really kind of come through and be the the face of the party. Uh, so I've used this a couple of different ways. It could really range depending on what's going on in the campaign. These are one of the easier ones to throw uh, kind of some good skills out for those charisma people because there's always going to be somebody they need to persuade or deceive or even intimidate depending on what they're doing. Uh, so uh, a couple of ones I've done. Uh, you see this a lot too when you have characters trying to get better deals when they're buying things when they're doing the shopping periods. This could be a good way to help give a little livelihood to uh, the area that gets to be a little bit more mundane or boring if you're they're just going through and stocking up on certain supplies. Uh, also, if they're kind of a spot in the campaign where they're working with somebody or they need to get somebody to be on their side. Uh, like an uh, example of this recently was uh, if you guys are watching the Hunted campaign was with the party where they're uh, trying to get Koso the Hut to uh, co-sign them. Uh, there's a couple good checks in there for uh, uh, to be able to persuade, got to get the Hut buttered up. Uh, it's kind of more amenable to give them extra resources of working with them. Uh, this is kind of a cool way to help build allies for the PCs or uh, just really kind of get some good rolls of the dice going that are combat related yeah that's a you know, great example there uh you know i think and it, it's kind of you know a lot of this stuff does end up being somewhat skilled challenges uh, as i said we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit more specifically later but um you know that specific situation kind of made me think uh the follow-up here is that it wasn't necessarily going to be a hard fail as a player in that game you know we were talking with koso and he had a job for us uh, and we were hoping to earn other resources and things. And so depending on how well we did in that interaction, uh, we'd maybe get some more stuff or maybe not. And so that's just, uh, that's, that's what the encounter is, is okay. 
uh, how all the players uh, present their argument or, or whatever. Um, you know, I think we, we went and bought some, uh, uh, some hookah. Uh, for the hut that was one of their favorites to try and smooth it over and uh, you know I think that helped a little bit so but yeah that's definitely a good example something like that even as small as an interaction like that with a key NPC in the group you know maybe some other things uh, you know maybe you're working for for a, for a government body and, and you have to help uh, facilitate uh, you know establishing a truce between two two groups something like that you know, maybe there is distractions you have to create um, in a social type uh, type way or whatever. Um, the uh, Bothan uh, adventure we we did, Tegan, uh, that one oh. um, probably had a lot of that in there too, I think. Yeah, it did. And you kind of mentioned a cool piece to I wanted to call attention to, like especially because uh, a lot of, especially the social ones, it's not going to be like a hard fail because uh, a lot of times with skill checks, like if they're trying to do a jump or they're trying to uh, fix something, a lot of times it can be a hard fail. But with social, unless they just said something ridiculous, it's not going to usually shut a conversation down. Uh, so kind of either having like degrees of success or failures or uh, just having some different states that can happen can be a really good way to spice up social encounters. Uh, and the Botham adventure did have a good bit of that, especially with them investigating, trying to gather information uh, from different people around the area to figure out what's going on and then figure out kind of a, I don't want to give anything wrong with the adventure, but kind of figure out who's causing the issues around there. Uh, so there's a lot of different kind of social aspects. Uh, and one thing I, almost, I forgot to mention, too, with the social aspects, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, uh, is you don't want to cut out the people that may not have charisma. I know this is usually a spot for the face to shine, uh, but if you do have somebody that's got to give it a good argument or kind of a, making a good pitch, even if they're not a charismatic uh, uh, player, uh, make sure to still give them like some, give them something or try to let them still interact with it, even without having kind of the best modifier behind the score. Uh, like something I'll do, like if they're making like, a good argument when they're trying to persuade somebody or even intimidate them, uh, like if I think it's something that will work well or kind of make sense, fits with what's going on, you can give them advantage or even give them a lower DC in your head, uh, just to really make sure, kind of give them a little bit of a realism uh, to what's going on. You know, I'm sure some players are better at this than others to really role play your player's stats. So, like if you know, if if you look at uh, you know, that very low intelligence character, maybe they probably wouldn't be making a great argument. Um, but if the player is doing that, you know, you sometimes have to keep that in mind. But I'd say for the most part, players are pretty good at that. But uh, yeah, you know, if you haven't out there, grab the uh, the player, player party tracker sheet that we put out. Uh, it's a great reference to have in front of you and see, all right, I know that this player has these uh, proficiencies and these skills. Uh, they might not fall in that charisma category, as you said, Tegan, but, uh, you know, maybe you can um, use something else. Uh, you know, intimidation. We talked about this, I think, a while ago in an earlier episode. Um, you know, you could certainly use strength as uh, an intimidation check, you know, or or something else or, or whatever. Um, you know, there's definitely certain ways you can utilize other skills. And to your point, you know, those players that don't, don't have those charisma skills in a social interaction maybe something else still fits in definitely yeah. it's just kind of a good way to get everybody engaged and keep them all moving even with an encounter that may not always be tailored to their to their specific skill sets absolutely yep so another piece here uh is you know i think a pretty obvious one for non-combat encounters is going to be puzzles 
definitely lots of uh, formats for that. Uh, if you look at traditional 5e, I mean, there's there's going to be tons of resources out there for puzzles. Uh, I would say that in that fantasy setting, uh, that's, you know, I, I guess I wouldn't uh, say that it's maybe easier, but, uh, you know, it comes up. Uh, maybe a little more, but in Star Wars, you know, there's certainly still ways that you can utilize puzzles. Maybe you go into a, uh, you know, a Sith temple and you have to figure something out, unlock a certain door, uh, do this or that. Um, you know, definitely many different ways uh, to do things. Uh, Tegan, what are what are some puzzles that you've utilized? I would say, um, trying to think of some of the stuff in our past campaigns that we've gone through. I have never really used puzzles too much. I that's what those are. They're great. They're kind of a pillar of the game. I know a lot of games over both traditional and Star Wars use them. I, I, I'm not the they're for, for each their own. I'm not the biggest puzzle fan, uh, playing or like making my own. So I haven't used them pretty much or much at all for my campaigns. But they can definitely, if your players like using puzzles or kind of doing those different factors, they can definitely add another layer. Uh, I just really haven't used too much of them just because it's not one of one of the things I enjoy uh, for the game. Yeah, I understand that for sure. Uh, you know, I, I sympathize, I think, with at least the fact of like creating the puzzles can be definitely a challenge. Um, you know, it's something that I've uh, I've tried to work in and try to utilize. But um, yeah, it uh, it can definitely be a challenge to even come up with stuff and uh, find ways to fit that in. So um but uh, but again, there's there's definitely lots of uh, resources out there that would have something uh, you could uh, you know reference and you know maybe try and, and work into your own game. So that's of course another aspect here. One thing I would mention too, especially check out uh, if you guys are uh, still following up with traditional D and D, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything actually has like a section in the back uh, that goes over some cool puzzles that you can use and some cool ways to implement them into the the game um my biggest advice even though i'm not the biggest puzzle fan is still try to have ways with the puzzle to um reward people's skills or intelligence roles uh especially because like especially if you're playing like an engineer or somebody in the system that's supposed to be smart uh but you may not be the most in real life the best person with puzzles uh you should still allow those person to roll so like roll intelligence check or save or uh investigation or something and give them some clues on the puzzle uh that way even though they may not be like the the best or most intelligent person at the table they can still role play their character out and get some cool stuff uh, from being a smart character in game absolutely it's all yeah it's always nice to poke the players and and uh help them out in those situations that they just might not realize it and Hey, give me a give me an intelligence check or give me whatever. So absolutely. So I think that's uh, yeah, that's kind of a good transition. Uh, we've touched on it a few times here, but uh, talking about skill challenges, uh, I think skill challenges loosely underlie all of the stuff we've been talking about already. Anyway, uh, with the social encounters and things like that, you know, you're you're going to be utilizing the skills more, and depending on uh, you know how well you do, you succeed, whatever, that's going to uh, you know provide your results. Um, I know that I believe uh, 5e has some rules for skill challenges. Uh, a lot of other systems do previous D and D versions, and then other systems, uh, and you know, lots of different interpretations on how to utilize. Uh, the basic concept is that the you know you set up this challenge. The players have to achieve a certain number of successes before failures. 
uh, and you know then they'll they'll succeed and, and move forward so uh, you know something like you're running through a jungle and they have to you know get X number of successes with uh, you know whatever athletics acrobatics etc uh, and if they succeed a certain number of times and they you know make it out they catch up to their prey or whatever things like that um, you know Tegan anything else on, on your side initially about skill challenges yeah, definitely. There's a, a great way to uh, mix it up. Uh, one video, if you're kind of still like unsure about it, uh, check out uh, Colville's video. He's got a whole one on skill challenges and just kind of how he adapts them. Uh, I think it may be under his actually his 4E video. Uh, so it's either its own video or it's under his 4E video. But search Matt Colville's skill challenges. You'll get a link to it. Uh, he goes into it and really kind of articulates it. Pretty cool and just different things you can do uh, with the party just to really mix it up. Uh, so it's definitely one I recommend using. And it's just a kind of a cool system to really give him a different alternate counter, uh, especially for like a, a high stakes part of the game or even low stakes part of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a few things that he touches on, I, I believe, when I watched that video of myself, um, you know, one big thing is like uh, skill dogpiling. You want to make sure that, uh, you know, oftentimes I think a skill challenge rule set will say, you know, once, per, however you're managing it, if you're going by rounds or whatever, you know, only one player per round, uh, you sometimes have to have proficiency in the skills. So you can't just have someone random attempt it, you know, little things like that. So it's not just, you know, you're doing a, a computer slicing check or whatever, and, and just the one guy does it every time because they have that, you know, the, the other players have to think of, I think that's what it does too, is it gets the other players to think of creative ways to utilize the skills they are proficient in to advance towards the goal. A lot of the other Star Wars systems are great inspiration as well. Uh, so Saga Edition specifically is looking over some stuff and they have a great section on skill challenges. Uh, similar to the 4E rules for that, but the one piece they have are challenge effects. Uh, these are great little things. I mean, there's a there's a bunch of them in there, um, but just a few of them to mention on it is just just these effects that you can introduce to the skill challenge to just make it a little bit more interesting. Uh, for example, one of them they have is catastrophic failure. If uh, if the players fail by ten or more when they make that DC check, uh, they get two fails. So it it just shows that all right, you know, the players really have to to be on their game and whatnot. Um, you know, and there's uh, there's other ways where if they only fail by five or less, they don't get a fail. There are you know the degrees of failure or success in there. Uh, there was one that um, I forget what they called it, but you can uh, replace a fail with a success. So. If you have, uh, you know, say you need to get five successes before three failures and you roll a success, uh, you can choose to replace a failure instead. So you still have to, you know, you don't add a success as well, but it replaces that and kind of gives you a little, uh, you know, one more um, turn. So uh, I'm sure you could look this stuff up out there and, and uh, get some summaries on what these are. But just think of different ways that you can make this. Um, you know, it's not just simply the skill challenge, what ways you can work in these effects and, you know, how that works. I guess kind of going back to that uh, COSO example, Tegan, maybe not knowingly, but but there is probably some effects in there, uh, you know, depending on how well we did, the, the the results or the outcome would change. Definitely. Yeah. It's one of those ones that it, even as a DM, you're probably just 
not having like the fr exact framework, but you are just kind of running in the background in your mind with just different things that can happen uh, depending on what the players do. Because definitely with Coastal, there was definitely multiple ways that could progress depending on how you guys rolled or kind of what you asked or what you wanted uh, and how that could kind of be a different scenario. Uh, and actually with that, how did the campaign, uh, so would that be a today yeah, when it launches uh so tuesday the 24th uh actually i'm gonna be doing a skill challenge within that game so i won't give anything away but uh if you want to kind of see the framework of it I, I will be doing that tomorrow or today i should say uh just give you a good run through of what it is and kind of uh, some fun scenarios of the party going through it nice looking forward to that so yeah and uh, another one that i used um i, I was talking with the a fellow member of the Star Wars 5e Discord has played some one-shots with me and whatnot and uh, introduced a concept of uh, essentially a clock or a countdown. I, I think he kind of called them countdown clocks that you you can actually throw into your game. Uh, you know, most of us are online right now playing digitally, so it's easy to throw one of these on. It can be like a little pie chart looking thing or a bar. So I did in a recent episode of Tempest Feud is I told the players, all right, you are trying to get information uh, to infiltrate this base. And then I threw up this meter on the uh, screen and it was, uh, it, it had, I think like nine squares um, it was a vertical strip and the top was green, the bottom was red and they faded together. It kind of looked like a temperature thing. And, uh, there was a little black circle token I put in the middle and I didn't tell them what it meant. I just said, here's what you guys are doing. Um, generally in the skill challenge, you want to tell people what skills, if there is any restrictions, um, on the thing. But I said, you guys can do these, you know, four or five things to try and gain information. And anytime they failed, if they succeeded, the token went up. If they failed, it went down. And then at the end of this, wherever they were, if they were in the green or the red, it affected, you know, their their task down the road. And it was it was such a cool reaction. I, I threw it up there and they were like, what does this mean? What is going on? You know, and it was a super cool way to to really get them kind of engaged and and on their toes and, and wondering. So you could do that. You could do a timer style where you know, you have to complete something in a certain amount of time and, and you just like, you know, put a little another piece into the pie and that shows that time is counting up or down or, or whatever. So that's another very cool element. Definitely. Yeah. It's not like I haven't, I haven't watched that video for it, but yeah, it sounds like a fun way to do it. And uh, especially with that kind of visual representation for it on the table as well, just so they can kind of see where they're going, add a little bit of attention to it. Yeah, and I was I was initially worried about, you know, maybe a metagame aspect that uh, they could see what was going on, but... It was, I mean, it, it, there was no concern of that at all. Once I implemented it, I mean, the players realized like, oh, this is something like we have to, you know, make sure we're on our game and, and you know, and it really forced them to to kind of think about their actions and, and whatever. So it, it was cool. It's definitely a great concept. So uh, a few other things here on this topic, um, you know, of course, we've been talking about doing things, uh, you know, alternatives to combat, um, not necessarily alternatives, but, uh, you know, other things you can do besides just combat when you're developing your session and whatnot. But um, there's certainly, uh, you know, objectives within combat or potential combat that uh, could be considered a non-combat encounter. You know, maybe you have to acquire an object or maybe you have to destroy an object, escort uh, escort somebody and things like that. I think we've touched on this a little bit before in other episodes as well. Um, but uh, just to, to do that and then you can kind of introduce maybe the skill challenge there. Uh, Tegan, any thoughts on that or examples? 
Yep, definitely. This can be a good area to like. Uh, so I know you did for one of your one shots. Like they had that. Uh, I think it was with a clone one shot where they had like hack into uh, a facility while they're going yeah. through it. Uh, this is kind of like a fun way you can do it. Like if they're hacking into something, especially with Star Wars, there's a lot of slicing. I should say uh, into different things, uh, or even just different areas where you may have to work something uh, kind of a, with a ship or do something kind of a, with a, a different aspect in there that you can just work in, set a DC or provide some skills and let them know that while the combat's going to be a focus here, you still have to do whatever it is that advances the plot forward uh, without failing uh, to get through that kind of that most desired outcome. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that's the, a good way to put it is, yes, combat likely will happen, but you wipe all the enemies out, you still, yes, you, you there still is something you have to do so now it becomes that balance. All right, what do we, how do we, you know, manage this situation here? Uh, we do have enemies coming in. So yeah, in, in that situation in the Clone Wars adventure, um, you know, they, they had to secure the, the comm tower, which they did. And then there was reinforcements that came. So it was a combination of, all right, we have to continue to slice into this and upload data and also fend off the uh, incoming reinforcements. So absolutely a situation like that. You can also think of, you know, what are alternatives to the combat? So when you're designing the the encounter uh, and say, all right, likely this is going to be a combat here, you know, maybe look at some of these other examples. What are things that you could do alternatively uh, and present to the players? And maybe that's an option as well. Definitely, yeah. especially if your players are able to either kind of outthink their way or get around the combat or talk their way out of it. There can be some cool ways you can kind of reward that or set up different scenarios for them along with that. Yep. Yeah. Thinking, you know, going back to that social encounter aspect, there's a lot of times that players do want to try and, and talk through something and, you know, just as a DM, try and be on your toes or maybe think ahead of that uh, when you're doing your planning to say, if this goes that route, you know, what are my DCs here for that, uh, that type of challenge and whatnot? One other thing is uh, if you're setting up one of these other, you know, more of a non-combat situation, but the players escalate it to that, you know, think about the consequences. Uh, you know, what are the what are the consequences if they just turn to, you know, hack and slash or something like that? I guess for lack of a better phrase, teach your players, you know, that there are consequences in the game for, for their actions. Definitely. If you get your players running around just kind of murdering anybody that tries to talk to them, uh, somebody's going to eventually pay attention to that, and especially if somebody has some power to do something about it, too. Absolutely. Uh, a few other notes here I had... Um, you know, when you're doing, you know, social encounters and some of this other stuff outside of combat, uh, of course, you know, NPC details become a little bit more important. In combat, it's not as important. You're just uh, going after an enemy. So keep that in mind uh, as a DM that if you're going to create something, uh, you know, you might want to flesh out those NPCs a little bit more because there might be details that come up that might be, you know, maybe it's utilized later on. Uh, you know, what this person is wearing, how they talk, uh, what they look like, um, maybe objects they had. So that's one important detail. Uh, you know, definitely always, uh, you know, look at uh, your adventures theme and, and consider, um, you know, what you're creating and, and what works for, for those situations. Well, that's basically our, uh, 
rough discussion there on uh, trying to uh, come up with some ways to do some non-combat encounters uh, in your sessions. Uh, as we said, it's a great way to get your players to utilize skills and, and um, abilities and whatnot outside of combat, uh, which is certainly you know another big portion of the game to consider using. Uh, Tegan, any other last thoughts on the on the topic? Definitely, I, I may have mentioned this earlier. It's one of those ones like the more it's, uh, with anything like D and D, the more as you DM it and do more of these kind of uh, non combat or skill challenges or just social encounter pieces, uh, the more you'll get used to it. So I know at first it may be difficult to get set up or kind of get you thinking about that style, but the, the more you do it, the easier it come, uh, and the more your players will probably engage with it too. Absolutely, and I think that. I think uh, whether you know there was intention in, in that statement from you or not is is that it almost come it does come naturally and because on the fly you just come up with these situations as we go back to that Koso example we talked with the hut and potentially when you were designing that you were not like all right this is a social encounter challenge right it was just it naturally came out of the the RP and then you were able to with your experience as a DM say okay. Uh, if if they're able to you know persuade the hut uh, by this level, then you know they'll get this or that. So it's certainly you know nothing that um, you know. Eventually, I think it's just kind of becomes a second nature. Definitely. Yeah. So the more you do it, the less you really have to think about it. Uh, after a while, you just be able to kind of set it up as your players are doing whatever they're doing. Uh, you can kind of just make those scenarios to fit with them, or give them a little challenge, or kind of a help uh, explore the themes of the campaign. Yep, absolutely. And then just one step further on that, though, is still put time into creating specific non-combat encounters, skill challenges, etc. Certainly consider how you can flush those out uh, as as I think when you do, you know, there's definitely certain ways that you can expand on that. And, uh, you know, great, great thing to utilize as well. All right. Well, that's everything for today's episode. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening just a preview of next episode. So that will be uh, the 1st of December, uh, episode 36. And we will have our new Patreon adventure, which is going to be uh, a life day themed adventure. Great, uh, perfect for the holidays here. And we're going to just kind of touch on that, uh, maybe touch on a little bit uh, about creating that adventure. And now we're also going to do a end of the year wrap up uh, for the podcast. Uh, just talk about you know, I think I forget when our first episode aired, um, you know, back February or March here. And, uh, you know, just give all of you uh, amazing listeners and supporters out there some more love. We appreciate it so much. Um, and so, yeah, we'll have that uh, next week. And then uh, from there, I think we'll, we're going to take the rest of the month off and come back January with uh, some new things. So we'll uh, talk all about that next week. Uh, but for now, again, thank you uh, to all of our listeners, subscribers, and followers, and Patreons. Check us out, DungeonJediMasters.com, and may the Force be with you. May the Force be with you. <laughs> <laughs>